Go with me to John 7, would you? John chapter 7 and verse 25. When you have two people telling you two different things, who do you believe? Who do you believe? You ever, you ever find yourself doing that? Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it happens in the workplace. You'll have the owner of the company or the management say one thing, and you'll have the employees whispering sometimes another thing. Sometimes it happens in the home. Ask me. I know. (laughs) Sometimes you get two children, and you say, okay, which one of you did this? Sometimes you get eight children, and you say, okay, which one of you did this? It's been a long time since we've had to do that. And it's really hard to know. Who do you believe? Right? Um, sometimes when, imagine this, sometimes when politicians talk, it's hard to know. Who, who do you believe? Hey, who do you follow? It's hard to tell, isn't it? It's hard to tell who's, who's telling the truth, who to follow. Something like that is going on in the text this morning before us. Listen, listen, we need to know this. We, we need to be committed to this truth. We just sang of it. You can trust Jesus. You can believe Jesus. There is no question about who to believe when Jesus speaks and someone contradicts. You believe Jesus. But we're going to see a couple of groups of people, several groups of people noted in the text this morning, but a couple of groups in particular. One group didn't believe some others. Another group did believe. They fall on both sides of whether they should believe Jesus or not, and some believed and some didn't. We're looking at verses 25 through 36 this morning, but let's begin with verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Now, I want you to remember here the setting here is the Jews' Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles at Jerusalem. And we noted it last time. Jesus is in the temple and he's he's teaching And at this Feast of Booths would have been travelers from all over who had come to celebrate. Those who had traveled here for the feast would not have known what was going on with the Jewish religious authorities and that they were plotting to kill Jesus. They would not have known of the authorities' plans to have Jesus uh, be done away with. And they would not have known much of Jesus' teaching either. But in verse 25, we see a local group. We see people from Jerusalem. And so that's what we see happening in verse 25. And the people talking in verse 25 are actually from the area, from Jerusalem. And they're speaking, and they seem to have a very good handle on what's going on with the Jewish leader's intent to kill Jesus. And you can tell that right from what we see here in the text in verse 25. Some of the people said, after they're hearing Jesus preach in public and do so boldly, isn't this the one they want to kill? Isn't this the man they're seeking to to kill? So the, the, plan, the plans to have Jesus killed are no secret, are they? <laughs> Obviously, the people in Jerusalem knew what was going on and knew that they were seeking to be, um, be done with Jesus and to kill Jesus. Now, this is why we see the amazement of some of the people of Jerusalem here in verse 26 as they listen to Jesus teach openly in the, in the temple. And with great boldness, they hear him teach. And look at verse 26. They say, and here he is. Here he is, speaking openly, and, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So here are the people, the people of Jerusalem, some people saying, 
look, if they want him dead so badly, why are they letting him speak in public? Why are they letting him teach in the temple? And they reasoned that that just maybe, since they're letting him teach in the temple, just maybe the authorities knew this Jesus was the Messiah. You need to think that when you see them say the Christ, when you see that, they're talking about the Messiah. Christ means Messiah, the anointed one. And so when they say, could it be that this is the Messiah? They, they, they see the authorities are letting him speak because maybe they think he is the Messiah. And they reason that if the authorities aren't doing anything about it, they're letting him teach openly like this, well, maybe they're convinced in their own minds. Now, we're going to see in verse 27, this group of people don't themselves believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're not convinced. But note what led them to this conclusion at first. It was, think about this, it was the boldness of Jesus Christ. What led them to, to conclude that this, maybe it's possible this could be the Christ, this could be the Messiah, the anointed one, it was his boldness of teaching. The people are saying here, look how boldly he's speaking. How does he do this? Does he have some sort of death wish? I mean, they are out to get him after all. Doesn't it seem like Jesus is challenging the authorities here? Just daring them to do something? How could Jesus speak so boldly when he knew the Jewish religious authorities wanted badly to kill him? How could he do it? Well, first of all, Jesus could speak boldly and preach boldly in the temple because And we know this, we've seen this many times. He is not constrained to these Jewish authorities' timeline. He's not constrained by their wishes and and will and plans. We're going to see that very clearly when in verse 30 it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And it wasn't like they stopped and said, Oh, wait, we can't lay a hand on him yet because it's not time. (laughs) No, the Father did not let them lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But this boldness was also Christ's. Note this. It wasn't just that he was on the Father's timeline. This boldness was also Christ's, because as we've noted before, he's about the Father's mission. He's doing the Father's work. He's he's doing the appointed task that his Father sent him to to accomplish. This confidence was his because he's under orders from the Father. And, and, And note this, he has the help of the Father. Jesus Christ has God the Father's help in his efforts to fulfill his purpose, his mission here on earth. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 50, in verses 7 through 9, there's a prophecy about the boldness of Christ And this speaks of the Messiah. Listen to this passage from Isaiah 50 in verses 7 through 9. But the Lord God helps me. This is the Messiah speaking. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. That's the boldness of Christ. Because he says, and he knows, the Father helps him. The Lord God helps him. He has the help of the Father. Now, I mention this, and I draw this to your attention, because this 
is instructive for us, and it ought to be very encouraging to us. You ought to be encouraged by the fact that Jesus himself is helped by God the Father. And we ought never forget that the Spirit-filled boldness is ours also. You realize that? That, that Jesus has help from God the Father. He's on the, on the Father's timetable. He's on the Father's mission. He will accomplish the Father's work, and he has the Father's help. And you and I, if you're a follower of Christ, you too can have the same boldness that Jesus has because you can have spirit-filled boldness. The boldness of Jesus is also our boldness. After all, those who are Christ, right, have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's a truth we see lived out in the lives of believers throughout the New Testament again and again. We see the church and we see followers of Christ boldly living and boldly speaking for Christ, boldly proclaiming the truth of Christ in situations that we would think, how, how in the world do they do that? Do they, do they want to get themselves killed? How, how do they boldly proclaim the truth of Christ in the face of such severe opposition? The way they do it is with spirit-filled boldness. The same spirit-filled boldness that's yours and mine if you're a follower of Christ. Now, have these people of Jerusalem come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah because we hear what they're saying? And the answer is no. Note the blindness of their unbelief. They have not come to have faith in Christ. Because the very next verse, verse 27, says, But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So, moved by the bold and the clear teaching of Jesus, these people of Jerusalem had just suggested that Jesus must be the Christ, the Messiah. I mean, evidently that's what the authorities think because they're not stopping him. But then they quickly backtrack. They, they quickly dismiss that thought there in verse 27. They say, no, that can't be it. We, we know where he's from. We know where this Jesus is from. I mean, he grew up in, you know, he, he grew up in this area. After all, we know where he's from. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to come suddenly and out of nowhere. That's exactly what they thought. That's, that was their tradition. That was what they had been taught. That, that when the Messiah appears, he would do so suddenly. He would come as if from out of nowhere. They got that from a passage in Malachi in chapter 3 and verse 1. They misunderstood, but they got that from Malachi 3 and 1. Behold, I send my messenger, that's speaking of the Messiah. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So here they thought, they're thinking the Messiah is going to come at a time that's unexpected, in a way that's unexpected, he'll just appear suddenly, and and no one will know where he came from. And since they thought they knew where Jesus was from, then he must be, he must not be the Messiah. I mean, this can't be the Messiah. We know where he grew up. We know where he's from. Jesus had been raised in Nazareth, so so they thought that's where he was from. Evidently, they didn't know that his birthplace was Bethlehem, and they didn't know this truth, although they could have easily discovered it had they done a little bit of investigative work and found out they would have realized that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and they'd been taught that no one would know the background of the Messiah. So they were thinking, look, they, you know, we, we know where he's from. We know where he grew up and, and we've been taught that he'll appear suddenly and no one will know his background. In fact, they 
they believed this to be true, but that was even in contradiction to the truth of, of the Old Testament passage in Micah 5.2, which clearly pointed to Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Messiah. They had been mistaught that, that no one would know where the Messiah came from. They had been mistaught that he would suddenly appear. Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Speaking of Jesus Christ. And had they done a little investigative research, they would have quickly learned that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. And and had they been taught properly the, the scriptures, they would have known better than what they were saying. Jesus uses this, though, as a teaching opportunity. Look at it, verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple. Still teaching, still boldly proclaiming. Verse 28, you know me, and you know where I come from? <laughs> kind of a kind of a rhetorical question. You, you, you say you know me? You know me, and you, you know where I come from? He's challenging their beliefs here. In effect, Jesus is saying, you think you know me, and you think you know where I come from. But look at the rest of verse 28 and verse 29. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I am come from him, and he sent me. And in effect, what Jesus is saying here. So not only do you not know who I am, not only do you not know where I come from, you don't know the one who sent me. You see, Jesus says, he who sent me, do you see it there, is true. He is true. You think you know the one true God? You think you're serving the one true God, but you're not. You don't, you don't realize that you don't know the one true God. I know him. He sent me. And what a shocking thing that had to be to hear. Because they thought they knew God. They thought they they just might be serving him. Did you notice again here Jesus saying that he'd been sent by God? He'd been sent by God. You know me, and you know where I come from, the question. Verse 28, "But, but I have not come of my own accord. I didn't come doing my own business. I didn't come doing my own thing. I'm on a mission. I've been sent by God the Father. He will not be, listen, Jesus Christ will not be hurried and he will not be delayed. He will not be derailed or sidetracked. He he will not be deterred from his mission. And that's just what we see in verse 30. When they say, "So, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. He will not be sidetracked from his mission. He will not be rushed. He will not be delayed. And how to be a great encouragement to us that God's timing is perfect and God is in control. It was not yet time for Jesus to be crucified. That day would come. It would, it would come in, an about, in about six months or so, but not yet. Now, there's a wonderful statement here in verse 31. Look at verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, Will he do more signs than this man has done? So why did they believe? Well, they were moved by the signs. Not everyone was moved by the signs, but they were moved by the miracles at the hands of Christ and many reasoned that, they, that, that this, this Jesus had to be the Messiah. 
And many people believed in him. How could the Messiah come along after this fellow and do more than he's already done? Look at his miracles. And note that when you hear the gospel, when you hear the gospel, you have to decide who Jesus is. You realize that? When you share the gospel with with an unbelieving neighbor or co-worker or friend or family member, they've got a decision to make. You're telling them something that's critically important. When you hear the gospel and you see people here in this passage deciding who Jesus is for themselves, note that the decision doesn't change any of the facts. You might decide against who Jesus is, but it doesn't change who he is. But the gospel requires a decision. Is he the Messiah? If he is, then you must believe in him. If you look to Jesus and you hear the gospel, you've got to decide, is this Christ? Is this the Messiah? Is this the anointed one? If he is, you have to believe in him. But if you decide he's not the Messiah, then you must reject him. You see, there's people all over the place today who say they could, they could live in the middle ground. Well, I'm not really rejecting God, but I really don't believe in Jesus. I'm sorry. That's not what the Bible says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And you will be saved. But there's no other way. There are many who disbelieve and reject Christ. But as we see here in verse 31, there were also many people who believed in him. Praise God. There were many people who believed in him. We see many rejecting Jesus here. But we should never be surprised that wherever the truth of the gospel is proclaimed, some will disbelieve and some will believe because the gospel requires you to make a decision. It's encouraging to note here that we never find Jesus worried or concerned about those who disbelieve. Have you ever thought about that? You ever, you ever see Jesus in the, in the gospels going, oh no, boy, what did I do this time? I can't believe all those people are walking away. They don't believe in me. What did I do? I need to change my methods, I think. Hmm. What should I do? You don't, we don't ever see that, do we? He's never worried or concerned about those who reject him. He knows they will reject him. But he also knows this. He knows that some will believe. It's encouraging, isn't it? Jesus faithfully goes about his work. Jesus faithfully goes about his work. Many, many disbelieve. Many turn from him. But, but as he goes about his work, he sees many putting their faith in him. And, and just note this. It's a great encouragement to you and me as we go out to live in this world tomorrow morning or maybe even this afternoon as we live, leave here, that, that as we go out and do our work for the, for the glory of God, for the good of the gospel, we can rest in knowing that God is at work and it's not up to us to twist people's arms behind their back and make them believe. You can't make anybody believe anyway. There were people who heard Jesus speak and didn't believe. If anybody could have made people believe, it would be Jesus who would say, you're going to believe. But, but we see many turning from him, and then there are many who believe. And that peace is ours also. We are to faithfully work, to share and spread and live the gospel, but at the same time, we can rest easy knowing that God is doing his work. I'm not suggesting that living and sharing and spreading the gospel is easy. But you can have a kind of peace that, that helps you realize that God is at work. It doesn't rest on your shoulders to, to make people believe. You, you're a conduit. You're a messenger of the gospel. Your life speaks the gospel. It better speak the gospel. 
And that is our opportunity to speak for Christ as we live and do our work and we do our play and we go to our schools and we live alongside unbelievers who need Christ. They look at our lives, they hear our speech, they watch our conduct, and when we have opportunity to tell them about Christ, they have an opportunity to hear about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have to make a decision. There were some who decided against Christ. There were some who decided for Christ. But you'll never see Christ worried about those who disbelieve. There will be those who reject Jesus. But be faithful. Be faithful and keep spreading and proclaiming the truth of Christ because there will be those who believe and there will be those who are saved because God is sovereign. God is at work. And he intends to use your faithfulness to accomplish his work. He intends to use your life, live for his glory, to to send the message further and further this week. Now, speaking of unbelief, look at verse 32. Verse 32 says, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him, It's like they're saying, okay, we have had enough. Okay, we've let him go on enough. Now look, look at these people. They're starting to believe in him. We've got to do something. So officers are sent to arrest Jesus, and we're going to see it later in chapter 7, but they aren't yet able to arrest him. Jesus continues to teach. Look at verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You see, Jesus knows what lies ahead at all, at all times. He knows what lies ahead. He knows what's in his future. It would be just a few months and he will be crucified. But when he has risen from the dead, where is he going? He says, look, it's just going to be a little while longer. I'll be with you. But after that, I'm going to go to him who sent me. I'm going to, we know what he's talking about, right? We know he's talking about his ascension into heaven. And and note the warning he gives those listening to him. And here's a warning to us, a warning to all who hear the gospel. Verse 34, you will seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. Confused by that? (laughs) So were they. Jesus, listen, Jesus will ascend He will ascend after his crucifixion and resurrection to be with the Father. But listen, those who reject him, they will not find him. Those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not go where he is going. Right? So he says, look, you're you're going to search for me and you're not going to find me. Because you didn't search for me when you had the chance. There's going to be a day when you will not be able to go where I am because I'm going to him who sent me. And where I am, you cannot come. Those who reject Jesus will not be able to go there. So the warning is this, believe and live. It's a solemn warning. sounds pretty simple, but it's a solemn warning. There are decisions to be made when people hear the gospel. They can believe and live or they can disbelieve, and the outcome is eternal separation, eternal death separated from God in hell. So do these people yield? Do these people believe in Jesus? Do they believe him and what he's saying? No. 
Note their scornful unbelief. Look at verses 35 and 36. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? You see their confusion? They don't believe. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where where I am you cannot come? What's he talking about? They're, They're all beside themselves. They scoff at Jesus' words. They think he's talking about going to teach among Jews in foreign lands. They think he means he'll be teaching the Gentiles. They they completely miss what Jesus is saying. But we dare not miss what Jesus says. We dare not miss it. I am greatly encouraged when I read a passage like this and I see the boldness of the Lord Jesus Christ in in the passage before us. And if, if you are Christ's, if you are God's child and you are obediently following his teaching, then you need to know that you too can live with his confidence, his boldness. You can proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully and fearlessly because you have the spirit boldness of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit living in you. But if you're not Christ's, If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, then then you need to hear the word of Isaiah 55, 6 this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You see, there would be those in, in Jesus' hearing that day and within the hearing of the gospel today who will disbelieve. And then there will be a day when they want to know him, but it's too late. Because then they'll realize who he truly is. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That includes people who are not believers. They can say, now we see. But now it's too late. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And believer, you live with the with a spirit-filled boldness that God gives you. The same boldness that was Christ because God, the Lord was there helping him. That's our help. To leave this place today, to go into the week ahead, to share, to live, to teach, to tell, proclaim the love of Christ to a dying world in need of a Savior so that they too can look to Christ and live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the words of hope, the words of encouragement, and and even the words of conviction this morning that help us realize that when we fear as followers of Christ, that's not a fear that's that's placed in us by the Holy Spirit. That's, That's out of character. Father, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and his fearless boldness to to speak the truth and to proclaim the truth of himself to those who would listen to him that day. And God, I pray that you would give us, give your children the spirit-filled boldness that's ours in Christ because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Not because of any works that we have done, not because we are worthy to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but Lord, give us your spirit-filled boldness 
that's ours because of Christ. And help us to live in that boldness, to, to live for Christ, even in challenging circumstances and challenging and difficult days. Help us to face those who mock and scorn the name of Jesus Christ and to boldly live and proclaim the name of Jesus. That they too might have an opportunity to hear the gospel, that they might make a decision. And Lord, I pray that you would soften the hearts of the people that we encounter this week who need to see Christ in us, who need to hear Christ spoken of from our lips. Father, I pray that you would soften the heart of stone and to help them see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one to be believed and trusted in, the one who forgives sin. Father, help them to see Jesus and live. God, encourage us, embolden us, and help us live in obedience to your word this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.